Blog Talk Radio. to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, in light of the essential theme of a better world, we are going to be speaking with a number of luminaries who have been thinking about, considering, writing about, and contemplating this subject of 2012, Uh, or even more accurately, the Mayan calendar for anywhere from a few years to a few decades. We will be holding a roundtable on the Mayan calendar, which, according to many, but not all, comes to its point of completion on December 21st in just, wow, 11 or so days away. Uh, less than that, actually, nine from today. And today itself is a very interesting day, which some of our guests will speak of, 12-12-12. And uh, we're going to have a lively discussion and an in-depth discussion and exploration of what is the meaning of this particular period of time. I think it's very fair to say that we're living in an incredibly interesting historical era that has been discussed, referenced, written up, poeticized, romanticized, and has well become the basis of horror films and books, effectively outlining the end of the world. The Chinese have been known to say what we believe is of this time. May you live in interesting times. And it's up to the listener of that, whether that is a blessing or a curse. Well, hopefully we'll be able to uh, illuminate that that ancient phrase and get some greater understanding of it uh, as uh, the panel rolls out. It's unlikely that the end of the world, as both fear mongers, that it is the end of the world, as both fear mongers and commercially oriented Hollywood film producers would have us believe. But it could well be something more like, quote, the end of the world as we know it along the lines that one of the philosopher kings of the 20th century, Terence McKenna, stated. So exactly what is in store for us when we contemplate the end of one of the oldest and rather convincingly one of the most prophetic calendars civilization has ever produced? That's the subject of today's panel, and we'll explore, as I said this, in depth with uh, truly a 
a wonderful, interesting group of people who I will introduce to you uh, presently. I'm really very excited about it because this has been in the works for a bit of time, and um, it's uh, an unusual opportunity to be able to gather such folks together uh, at one period of time to discuss this. So we have, and uh, my computer here is going a little slow, bear with me. In the meantime, let me just remind you that uh, I'm on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can access our show either by our website, www.abetterworld.tv, where it would be a good idea to go and get the newsletter anyway and uh, check to see our weekly radio and TV shows that we have. Or you can actually do so by phone. You can call into the, the weekly radio show at 602-753-1860, 753-1860, area code 602. So certainly pass the word on to your friends and let them join us as well. So let me come around to introducing our panelists today. Uh, we have with us on the line Cal Garrison, who was on A Better World TV a few times over the past few years. Cal is the author of a number of books, and uh, more recently, The Astrology of 2012 and Beyond, which is one of the reasons I wanted Cal to be with us today. She is an astrologer, a consultant to Drunvalo Melchizedek, and she's been an astrologer for, with, for over 40 years. Her work as a writer appeared in Glamour Magazine, Nexus, Sage Woman, to name a few, and she is currently the editor-in-chief at Drunvalo's online magazine, The Spirit of Mutt. As I said, she's written a number of books, and she's also a syndicated columnist for the Associated Press. We also have with us Carl Kalaman, Mayan scholar, uh, originally a biologist working with the World Health Organization and others researching um, cancer. And upon a trip to Mexico many years ago at this point, became fascinated with the Mayan culture and calendar in particular, and has since written a handful of books, including the Mayan calendar and the transformation of consciousness, and more recently, the purposeful universe, how quantum theory and the Mayan calendar explain the origin and evolution of life. A true scholar on the subject of the Mayan calendar, who also interestingly has some perspectives that uh, are quite different than, uh, I don't know if I want to say mainstream, but uh, let me say the more common perspectives on uh, the Mayan calendar and its timing. Also, we have the renowned uh, Jungian astrologer with us, Monty Taylor, who is very well known, especially in the New York area, but beyond that, actually, 
Monty has been on A Better World a number of times on the television and radio show and has been basically a better world astrologer for the past number of years. He has a very interesting background as well, having been a world-class flautist and agent of an internationally known orchestra, uh, as well as being married to, uh, again, a world-class opera singer, Janice Taylor, with whom he traveled the world many times over in his career in the world of music, and has now taken his great fortitude and intelligence, as well as instincts, and has applied it to the world of astrology and understanding cycles. So I'm very glad Monty will be with us. And David Katzmeyer as well, who has been also studying cycles in his own very unique way and developed an entire study called Calorhythms, which is a study of time cycles that is to nations, you could say, as biorhythms are to the individual. And he analyzes them into the component parts of intellectual, emotional, physical, and spiritual cycles to which nations and humans are all subject. Of course, what is a nation but a collection of individuals? And so we're all subject to cycles that ebb and flow, come and go, up and down, and the cross-sections of these particular uh, aspects of a cycle uh, say much for whether we are emerging out of crisis and into a time of love and compassion, which we're all hoping for, and uh, out of darkness, you can say, and out of uh, military physicality, or what? So David will be weighing in, and David has also been a frequent guest on A Better World Radio and TV over the course of many years, and God bless him, has been a wonderful support to A Better World. In fact, he is now hosting his own show, his own radio show as well. We are also going to be joined by Stephen Dynan of The Shift Network, and Stephen has been doing some really important work in this regard and has been collaborating with Barbara Marks Hubbard, also who has been a guest on our shows, A Better World Radio and TV, over the course of the past number of years. And uh, together they have, uh, with a number of others, put together what is a formidable global event, Birth 2012, in which this time period, starting on December 21st, and he'll speak about it more, uh, going for, I believe, 33 hours globally broadcast, reaching what might be, if not tens of thousands, possibly even hundreds of thousands of people, gathering in a spirit. Not unlike, by the way, what we did in August of 1987, through the work of Jose Arguez called Harmonic Convergence. And it could be debated as to whether or not that, that date was actually mathematically sound per the Mayan calendar. I know for one, Terence McKenna had some issue with that. But nonetheless, and here again, it, this is an opportunity for literally thousands and thousands of people worldwide to come together in the name of something larger than us, with a spirit, with a sense of integrity, with an intention to create, how do I put it, a better world. A better world for us personally, 
as well as collectively. So with that introduction, I would like to now turn to our guests. And, oh, last, we may also be getting joined, this was a last-minute addition, by my colleague and dear friend Sasha Stone, the founder and executive director of Humanitad, an international organization that is doing an exceedingly amount of uh, brilliant work in the name of bringing humanity together in many different ways. And uh, he will be participating at Chichen Itza uh, this um, 21st of December uh, with a group of gathered people who will be speaking about how this is an opportunity, no matter what we may think of this time frame as discussed by the Mayan calendar as a time of collective awareness, intelligence rising to the fore, and opportunity for us to come together in a very influential and impactful way on, you could say, the ethnosphere, the noosphere of the planet. So, welcome everyone. Are you all on the line? Yeah. I'm here. Hi. Wonderful. Oh, wow. We have some music happening already. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. We're a unified field at the moment. This is great. Um, yeah, Mitchell. To... Yes. Yeah, Mitchell, you know, I was wondering, can we talk about something else? <laughs> something else. Uh, <laughs> yes, we may. I'm just fact... because of, I don't know about all you other guys. I, I am so happy to be here just to listen to what somebody else has to say about it because I don't know about you guys, but I'm sick of hearing myself talk. So it would be really, <laughs> really great. <laughs> yeah, oh, how no about worries. you? Anybody else out there, or what? Am I the only one that feels that way? <sighs> Cal, you will have ample you. opportunity to listen in on others as well as me to okay. listen to everyone. But interestingly, I actually wanted to start with you, uh, the author of the book. Um, the Astrology of 2012 and Beyond, and yeah, uh, yeah. then, you know, don't you don't have to talk for long. We've got plenty of time. We can actually go beyond the 60-minute. We actually have up to two hours. I was thinking we'd be going somewhere between 90 and 120 minutes. So uh, there will be plenty of time to listen. What I'd like to start with, however, Cal, is if you could give us, and also because of your work with John Velo Melchizedek, who is one of the most outspoken people and considered very much a spokesperson for uh, the Mayan elders, uh, among others, uh, to give us a little lead-in, and then we'll start branching out from there. Yeah, well, as, as, as far as everything that I've seen on the subject at this point, I think everybody's in concurrence that, you know, things are going to go... Uh, we're going into a new time, and that all of the fears and the stuff was, that was building up about cataclysm, et cetera, is justified given what we see going on in the world around us. There's a huge amount of change going on. Yes. But I think that what, you know, I think that we're all in agreement, and I think that really right now the whole question is how is consciousness going to change this? Because there is even at the last minute, still the potential for that. And I think, in my opinion, uh, we're already there. 
okay, we're already on the other side of whatever it is that this was supposed to bring us to. And the only thing that I'm curious about is how we're going to make it through the pole shift if that is something that really is going to occur because the reality of that is what we're facing now and how to understand that is something that I think say more really about that? Nice. I know that the pole shift is certainly something that you discuss in your book and yeah. spoke speak about the uh, Russian philosopher slash scientist who uh, really brought that to the foreground. Uh, why don't we start on something as wild as that and bring that to bear, and then we'll hear others bounce off of that as well. You know, I'm curious to hear what other what you other guys say about that because well, first speak about the pole shift as you understand it, and then we'll we'll move from there because oh, for right, many okay. people well, that is really a a very critical piece of everything that's happening. All right, so let's see if I can do it in a nutshell. The, and do uh, it in a nutshell, and I really want to make this point. We are all kind of uh, very conversant with the subject of the Mayan calendar of 2012, for some 2011, the idea of a shift of consciousness. But I really want to spell it out for our audience. So we're not making assumptions here. We're really laying it out really bare bones, so to speak, for even a lay listener to get on the bandwagon and understand from square one. Okay, so that's really a challenge here. So we won't be speaking right. okay, in lingo. I yeah. yeah. Well, the way I okay, just uh, pole shift 101. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, this is an event that um, is has happened uh, numerous times on the planet. It happens cyclically. Uh, sometimes a pole shift will happen every 13,000 years. Sometimes it'll be every 25,000, 26,000 years. And those are ballpark figures. They're not exact. Uh, mm-hmm. What's going on right now is we're moving into this point. And when you say a pole shift, I mean, some people, in fact, you were very funny in your book. You talked oh, about, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. hold on to all of your belongings because everything is no. about to go shift upside down. And then, of course, there's what we refer to as the magnetic pole shift, which, you know, is obviously a change in charge, south, north, north, south, which sure. explain the distinction. I mean, okay, do we have well, to strap then, everything we own down? All right, no. Well, yeah, in a sense you do, because <laughs> what goes on here on the planet is we have a, the physical poles, and we also have the magnetic poles. And everything in this reality, because it is polarized, is based on magnetism. Okay, so north and south, light and dark, all of that stuff exists here in duality. And what happens at the point where we get ready to go through a pole shift is that the magnetic field disappears. And when that happens, it happens gradually, and it's beginning to happen now. As you can see, there's all kinds of changes to the magnetic field that can be evidenced in a lot of the natural things that are occurring to the planet. But Such as what? Well, all of the changes in the lines, for instance, that are going on at the airports, the fact that they have to close airports down uh, in order to rearrange things because north in and south words, are not... In other words, true north has shifted. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the data on that is easy to look up because it's all over sure. the place. Yeah. But what happens at the point where the in the procession of the equinox, when it's time for this, shift in consciousness to occur is that there's a physical response in the earth and the magnetic energy 
or the magnetic field of the earth goes down to zero and at that point the structure of the earth itself changes because this isn't a chaotic thing the physical earth is built to experience this all right so she knows exactly what's going on when this happens and the idea is that what happens when the magnetic field goes down is that the granite layer that exists immediately under the crust of the earth uh, turns to this oily liquid and what happens is okay instead of this solid ball going around and everybody thinking that it's going to turn over what happens is this free-floating outer crust of the earth okay is now loose because there is oil underneath it instead of solid granite uh, and so that is what accounts for the shifting of the poles because at that moment what happens, the ice that's accumulated on the south pole of the earth becomes the mechanism that actually causes the crust mm. to slip. Okay, so that is mm. the basic definition of what happens when the poles shift. They can shift 90 degrees. They can shift 180 degrees. They can shift any number of ways. All right, now... I think the last time this happened, you know, maybe somebody else remembers where the poles were the last time this happened. But right now, they're somewhere over in Siberia, the North, North Pole somewhere over in Siberia. The point of all of this, okay, is that this is how we move or the Earth moves from one level of consciousness to another. Mm-hmm. And how it is understood, okay, in the Mayan texts and the ancient traditions and the Native American myths and the prophecies, et cetera, that go back in time, okay, is um, something that we're just beginning to return to, all right, in terms of our understanding. I think that most of us are clear that there is a shift in consciousness that's going on and that people are beginning to wake up. Uh, yes. Uh, and I see it all around me. I happen to live in a place where that's what's going on. Uh, but in I, Sedona. Yeah, yeah, I leave Sedona every now and then, and I see it in other places. I mean, if you just connect with people, you can see it. Yeah. But there's a lot of big stuff going on right now that has to do basically with the, the mechanism that's affecting the magnetic field. Okay, and we joke about that because, of course, the magnetic field is changing, and, and a lot of us are sort of... We can't even remember what we're doing anymore. I don't know yeah. about you, but I leave well, the I wanna, house. I want to. I want to take this another place for a moment, and okay, I want to cool. then ask. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Kyle. And we'll, we'll of course come back to you, and we'll uh, enter into a more lively dialogue as this moves on after we hear initially from each person. Uh, but I do want to bring to bear. I, I'm going to really steer us clear uh, from buzzwords because, um, and I, in fact. Everybody, use your buzzwords if you want, but I am going to ask for clarification because I really want this to be a 101, and then we can move into graduate school. Uh, it's interesting. There is a shifting consciousness that and evidences itself in many ways. On the one hand, we have, um, uh, you could say, uh, the uh, 99%, 1% um, matter that has occurred in the United States. We have uh, the Arab Spring, and on that's on one side of the ledger, so to speak. And then, as recently as yesterday, uh, it came out that HSBC has uh, it has come out. 
committed um, massive fraud of colluding and collaborating essentially with what are considered the greatest terrorists on the planet. You know, I put quotes in that, but uh, Al-Qaeda, and that they've been considered to be too massive, too great a, a force, a banking force to indict, even though they have been found to uh, be doing criminal acts, they won't be indicted. So, uh, yes, there's a shifting consciousness among the many, and then there's a shifting consciousness of others that feel that they can absolutely get away with anything and deviate from natural law. So I just want to bring that to bear as as we're speaking. Um, Stephen, are you on the line? Stephen Dynan? Hello. He is not. Okay, so I see what looks like an L.A. number, but um, he has not joined us as yet. yet. Okay, not a problem. Then I'd like to turn my attention to Monty Taylor. Monty, are you on the line? I am, uh, Mitchell, enjoying myself immensely. Okay, very good. I'm so glad. And uh, you've been listening to Cal and, at this point, myself, talking about uh, these ideas. I'd like to pick up, actually, on the idea of what do you consider the meaning of this date, as an astrologer, of course, December 21st. And from an astrological point of view, what would you construe as the meaning of that date? Well, it's a very significant time. I think when mankind tries to put things on a very specific date, uh, he's inviting confusion. Uh, it's very much to my... Most astrologers are saying that the end-of-the-world scenario of the Mayan, you know, hoopla in the media, it's very much like the Y2K phenomenon when we thought everything was going to come to an end because of the uh -huh. computer programming, etc. Yes, uh, the Mayans were extraordinary uh, in their ability to um, uh, forecast astrological events. They were master astronomers. We're still wondering how, in retrospect, they were able to be as precise as they were about so many things. Now, you know the big joke. Everyone said, well, of course it's the end of the Mayan calendar. There was a missing tablet that continued on on the next page, and we don't know where it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think you will remember that when uh, you came, actually, when we presented the Mayan elders at the United Nations last year. Yes, indeed. And they were saying it is indeed the end of the world as we know it, because what I personally think, being a Jungian astrologer and, uh, you know, having looked into this, we have moments in history where the collective human consciousness wakes up and sees things that were always there but seem so incredibly new and revelatory that we think it's a new reality. And it's not. It's yeah. just we are relating to it in a new way. So to me, you know, back in the Old Testament, there is a phrase. It's in Handel's Messiah for all those that listen to that this time of year with the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And the mezzo says, Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then 
tame man shall leap as an antelope, and the tongue of the dumb shall speak. Well, look at that. That is waking up the censuses to see, hear, move, and speak on a different yeah. level of consciousness. Now, Pluto, the great... You see, here's what I want to impress to your listeners. What we look at so much as different planets, and we think planets are doing something to us. No. Yeah. A planetary pattern in the sky is the diagnosis of a status of energy. It's celestial feng shui. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, what we want to look at is... Each one of these planets, when they form aspects or cycles, and you look at the sky or look at it depicted on an astrological chart, it's very much the same phenomenon as an MRI or an X-ray. The MRI or the X-ray does not cause what it finds. These are energetic trigger points. If there Mm -hmm. is stuck energy in an individual or collective body of being, they will get triggered very much like two tectonic plates. Don't say, oh, let's make an earthquake today. Two tectonic (laughs) plates in the earth have been grinding against each other, building up stuck energy or pressure that finally gets released. If you remember back, just before Mount St. Helens, which was quite a phenomenal event, Yes. Um, there were seven planets in exact conjunction. That means they were all in the same degree, more or less, of the same sign, all bunched up in one part of the sky. And even all of the insurance companies and Lloyd's of London and everything were going crazy because they thought it would build up such a gravitational pull on the Earth that it could trigger earthquakes. It did not. Mm-hmm. These are just simply electromagnetic fields of energy that the human consciousness relates to more sensitively if the person is of a higher conscious nature or working on themselves. So we're in a time of ultimate transition. And when you look at a century, that is not even a drop in the bucket in terms of cosmic time. So... When you look back at just 100 years ago how different the world was than it is now with our cell phones and our blog radio programs, uh, they didn't even have radio. You see what I'm saying? So what's happening now is it is the end of the world as we know it. Mm. And we are going to suddenly have no choice but to realize that we are coming into a unified global consciousness that has to take care of this spaceship Earth we're living on, and it has to realize that the economic, political, and social differences cannot become polarized, because what's happening now uh, is that a global economy is seeking, seeking integration. Mm -hmm. Well, something has to give, doesn't it? Just like tectonic plates, something has to give. This is what caused so many, uh, you know, disastrous changes in the past. But go back to natural intuition on a collective level. Remember the tsunami a few years ago in Indonesia? All Mm -hmm. of the indigenous people and all of the animals were fine because they intuitively knew that there was a shift of energy. How did they know? Getting out of harm's way. Yes, 
Now, if the average human being will stop rallying around some artificially constructed cause of trying to be different or judge that which is its polarity, we might find some balance. So the earth will find balance now collectively, or it will release some stuck energy in the form of a perceived disaster. Mm. Yes, the magnetic pole does shift on a regular basis. It's part of the cycle of every planet. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean the planet's going to roll through space like a bowling ball, you know. Uh, but you look at certain planets. You know, if you look at the planet Uranus, for example, which is a big player in the events right now. In fact, Uranus, the planet of innovation, sudden change, surprises, is going to go direct tomorrow during a yeah, new yeah. moon. And that's oh. going to be exciting. Now, yeah. that means all of the innovation... Well, what is the meaning of that? I'd like to hear both of you weigh in on It means that... Wherever a person for the last six or seven months has been stuck in their energy or living in the status quo or a fool's dream of security, uh, Uranus will unleash the energy of change. And Uranus changes things rapidly like a bolt of lightning does. All the outer planets cause change, but in a different style. So Uranus itself is the planet of eccentricity. It's the planet of technology. It's the planet of innovation. You're going to find a tsunami of technological innovation happening, and we don't notice it on a day-to-day -day basis. Look, for example, at your cell phone three years ago. There was no such thing as an app, was there? Right. Now no yeah. one can keep their cell phone charged because of all the apps on them. It gives you different <laughs> dimensions. <laughs> Yeah. And when you talk and the planets themselves, the physical planets mirror the myths associated with them, which is on some intuitive level we have here. The planet mm -hmm. Uranus, it always amuses me. The north and south pole of Uranus are on the east and west tips of it. In other words, Uranus has its poles where we have the equator. And it rotates north to south, not east to west. Ah, huh? Isn't that something? So yeah. if you want to stay... Yeah, look at that. So, <laughs> and even no Venus wonder it's such a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah, well, only... The, see, the new and innovative... Well, it's sort of like perpendicular, only, you could say. Is that a fair yeah, yeah. thing to say? Yeah, yeah that's a good way to look at it. Perpendicular, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah, interesting, yeah. and I don't want to interrupt you, Monty, because I agree with, absolutely with everything you're saying. You're awesome. But the other thing that I just figured out, like, just from, because I think too much, is that, of course, Uranus is going to govern polar events. Hello? Because that's mm -hmm. what distinguishes it so much from every other planet. And mm -hmm. I think it's true. Yeah, he's, the whole thing with Uranus being a key player in this whole thing, Christ, it's the ruler of the age. You know yes, what I mean? It, it's, it rules the Aquarian age. Uh, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to be flipping over, you know, as soon yeah, as it goes yeah. direct. But I'm curious because I I have Uranus sitting right smack on my moon right now, okay? Yes. And this uh -huh. is astrologer talk. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, you know. But, but what I'm That's feeling okay. is that everything that stands in the way of our further growth and evolution and any fears that we had okay, about just stepping out of the frigging box, are going to be gone in about 15 hours, and we're moving forward. This planet doesn't mess around. It changes things radically. 
And mm-hmm. on a global level, it should be interesting because I don't know how you look at it, Monty, but somebody once told me that um, that Uranus is in well, Uranus is in Aries, but Aries is Aries rules the Middle East. Am I wrong about that? Have you heard anything? No, it is associated that? with it. Yes, and England. Uh, a Capricorn is England, but Aries is a very it's a, Aries is the sign of new beginnings and pioneering. Yeah, sure. is the sign of innovation, revolution, and mutation. Mutation is defined mutation, in astrology. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, mutation is defined as when you prevent evolution from happening, the pressure builds up and you'll have a sudden wild change of things. Yeah, yeah. mutation. The, yeah, just like Mitchell said, we have the era of spring, we have all these things happening. Well, Uranus yeah. rules nuclear energy, and Aries is the sign of war. And it is associated with the Middle East. Ruled by and we Mars. Have to, yes, we have to watch now. The interesting thing, the other planet that rules yeah. uh, plutonium and nuclear energy is Pluto. And yeah. he is in the sign of Capricorn, which rules yeah. Earth. So yeah. transformation, yeah. Pluto, and innovation, Uranus, are squaring each other. They're arm wrestling. <laughs> oh, see? Yeah. my. Innovation and transformation are simultaneously happening. Yeah. So what uh, I this tell is everyone so exact- is this is like this is like a most amazing Hollywood film. Watching the Isn't stars yeah. from yes, our point but when of you view. look at it, it's, it, it could really make a Steven Spielberg saga because yes, astrologers exactly know squared Spielberg you squared at, absolutely. You this, yeah, look at history and line it up with planetary cycles, and you'll see a constant. Yeah solid repetition of things. Well, right now, here, we're having a perfect storm of planetary returns. We are having the planetary returns, and that means they trigger the same conditions, not necessarily the same events, but they will trigger the same conditions on the Earth. We're having three happen all at once that we don't happen all at once, usually have. It's a a perfect storm of three different things. We are, number one, having the planetary returns that led to the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. We're having the planetary returns of the Civil War, and we're having the planetary returns of the 1929 stock market crash simultaneously. Oh, my God, what a confluence of events. Yeah, if you're living on Wall Street, it's certainly going to rock your your world. That's for sure. Oh my God! Yeah, this is not the and when you look at the planetary returns of the Civil War, just look at the United States culture and political scene right now. It is an yeah, absolute right. full blown class war, civil war, red states, blue states. You know, and yeah, exactly. we are having this total. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And then uh, of course Truly. the things that were happening in the 1700s. Uh, you know, uh, we're having the Pluto return. Of the American Revolution, which and you know it happens to be. I I don't think it's any mistake, Monty, and all that uh, one of the latest films to be released and now hailed is Lincoln. Yeah. Oh, I know something that is. You know, it's no mistake. Exactly, Uh it's completely in line with this. I'd like to mm-hmm. move us on. We have several such wonderful panelists. I'm, I'm so glad to have you all gathered. Thank you so much for coming on. I was just sent a press release that got on the AP wire that um, my dear friend and colleague Jill Mangino just uh, sent to me as we've been on this panel discussion called Birth 2012, 
global movement aims to unify 100 million people to celebrate the birth of a new era. Best-selling authors, musicians, and cultural leaders unite in more than 40 major events from Mexico to Australia in an unprecedented global webcast culminating with the Los Angeles Gala event. And on it goes, the end of the long-count Mayan calendar on December 21st has provoked apocalyptic fears, doomsday books and films, parodies, and is even triggering outbreaks of panic, as recently reported in a December 1 New York Times article on Russia's end-of-the-world anxiety. By contrast, the far more positive and forward-looking Birth 2012 movement organized by the Shift Network, and Stephen Dynan just joined us, I'll have him on in a moment, offers a creative and hopeful alternative. Rather than feed fears, the movement aims to turn this marker point into a birthday for a new era that is healthy, sustainable, and peaceful. The conveners recognize the power of this once-in-5,000-year turning point to unify people globally around a commitment to create a world that works for all. Hallelujah. uh, David Katzmeyer and Carl Kalman, I hope you're taking prolific notes on everything you're hearing. We're going to be turning to you in moments. Stephen, are you on the line? I am here. Thank you for the kind introduction. And uh, sorry that I was uh, delayed. I, for some reason, had the time incorrect on this, but good to be here now. Oh, absolutely. Good. Well, don't get the time wrong on December 21st. (laughs) That is one of the great challenges, trying to do a 33-hour webcast with 40 event locations. Really? Frankly, it was impossible until we got the other side of the uh, time change because, you know, when you set the clocks forward or back, we just would have to give up on figuring out how all the pieces fit together. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. So, listen, that was a that was quite a, a potent intro to you here of the birth 2012. What you and I guess you and Barbara are giving birth together. All right. Well, the way we see it is really the planet is giving birth, and we're just giving course, a name and a brand and an integration of it. And Tell what I love about, about it is actually Barbara's concept originally to do to yeah. to uh, focus on birth as the metaphor of birth. Because yes. it's, uh, it sets appropriate expectations. Because when you're born, you're not actually that highly functional. You're, you know, it takes a while to get your sea legs and uh, be able to speak sure. and move and eat. And so, you know, it's if we there are some people who are focusing on this as a transition into a golden age or ascension or you know really high elevated states. But really, we're saying we're it's more like humanity is just being born into a new phase, and we're yes. just learning how to operate as a global culture and to really start to behave like one human family versus uh, going around killing each other, making wars. and Just the, the level of yeah. discord Business and opposition in the last era has yeah. been very disheartening. And so let's use this as a marker point and say, for the next 5,000 years, we want to we create a different template. And why not yes. begin the way we want it to continue, begin with the spirit of love. We, we activate a Three Days of Love campaign at www.3daysoflove.com. Lots of people sign on, are signing on to that. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Just let's, let's speak and act only from love for three days, and, and that creates a field yes. of connection between people and a spirit of friendship and kindness and solidarity. And then while we're doing that, let's, let's have these celebratory events around the world, uh, many of which were already happening. There's been... Lots of that's activated around the 21st in Mexico and 
um, yeah. Guatemala and all over the world. And then we kind of added on this other layer of say, well, 22nd is day one then of a new era. So just as New Year's Day marks the beginning of a new year when we set our intentions together, let's celebrate this new moment and set our intentions as a planet for a peaceful, sustainable, healthy, and prosperous new era. Yes, exactly. That's beautiful. So how people can go to that website, Three Days of Love. Yeah, well, that's actually a pledge com. site. The, the the big umbrella site is birth2012.com. Uh, we just oh, okay. went live with the uh, – we're going to have a t- live TV page on there that people can actually embed on their own sites. We're hoping it propagates out there. And So uh, the whole 33 hours where we're going to go from Australia to Japan to India to Australia uh, to – uh, Jerusalem to Kenya to Cape Town is coming online to Fintorn. So it's, it'll be really exciting because people will really get that feeling of one global community, people celebrating yeah. and marking this moment together, uh, many yeah. inspirational speakers offering their wisdom, musicians offering their, their song as part of the transition. Um, so it's, it's going to really be quite potent. We'll have dialogues with some of the pioneering visionaries. We'll have an extraordinary uh extraordinary four-hour program in Los Angeles that we're marking the birth moment. So the, the conceptually, as we kept playing with the metaphor and said, well, if, this is, if we take this literally, that it's really a birthing moment, then we have to have a labor, which became three days of love. So instead of yes. three days of pain, we have three days of love. And then instead yes. of uh, contractions, we have global expansions, which we ended up calling waves of unity. So these marker points mm-hmm. every two hours from noon on, on Friday, Pacific time, to noon on Saturday, every two hours we'll have a, a global synchronization. There's uh, meditations being led. There's uh, a global song. There's uh, one billion ohms from India. Shiva Ray has activated a global mala, uh, mm. global mala for yoga practitioners. So we have Brahma mm. Kumaris. We've got unity practitioners. We've got a lot of different spiritual denominations that have decided to join together in these collective uh, meditations so that we can uh, really create a field of inter- interconnection and a different kind of spirit to start the new era. That's beautiful, Stephen. That's beautiful. I, I'm, you know, the phrase that has uh, gone around the world. It takes a village. Now I'm beginning to think it takes a global village. Right. You know? And that's part of what we're so, shifting into. Is yeah. I feel like, on the deepest level, we've been we've had a world built on our separation and then our little fiefdoms squabbling with each other. And now we're moving sure. into a sense that we're really one global human family and one planet yeah. we have to solve our problems together and we have to shift our identity so we really feel and know exactly. ourselves as global God citizens almighty i say that all the time we have to give up this national identity alone we can, i say to people we can still keep it you can still be a yankee fan but you can also be an earthling you know right. <laughs> and a galactic participant you know right. one doesn't preclude the other who if you are using the birthing metaphor uh, which I think is fantastic and very appropriate uh, because, uh, you know, it's going to take a while even to start crawling. Who are the midwives? Well, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of everybody's a midwife and a mid, or a mid-husband, um, to use uh, kind of a term that yeah. doesn't really exist. But, but Barbara is so, sort of – Barbara Marks Harbor has really become our kind of planetary midwife, if you will, because she's been the one who has articulated this vision in at the greatest depth and with the greatest inspiration. She's traveled all around the world. We did a book with her. She's now doing events in sure. Australia. And so what's perfect about that is she has that 
uh, quintessential motherly love quality. She's 82 yeah. years old, sort of like everybody's favorite grandmother, just right. loving and blessing everybody as they are, which is, mm. you know, the depths of, of motherly love. And so there's a way in which yeah. she sees this as not like striving to achieve a new era. It's gentling the birth. It's gentling this transition process into a new era. So we're doing mm. that in a spirit of love. And so she's just kind of our... our the queen midwife, if you will, and then there's uh, yeah. lots of other people who have stepped in who are, who are creating hubs. There are literally thousands of hubs that are being activated around the world around this where people come together, even in small circles, to participate, yeah. to share in the meditations. Uh, there are people from Giza to you know Topeka that are all gathering around this kind of sense of a shared shared purpose to, to be part of this shift into a new era, part of the birth of, of a new way of being. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. I mean, these are the ideas, of course, that back in 1987, I was part of a group, a mission group, I would call it, who went down to Machu Picchu to represent the energy field there of uh, harmonic convergence. Mm, and, beautiful. Um, yeah, and it was fabulous. And there were people at the pyramids, of all the different pyramids, in fact, and all the sacred sites on the planet at that time. And uh, it was a very exciting time, and it was interesting, because at the same time, Stephen and everybody, uh, I, I myself was very much a student of Terence McKenna, which I had said at the beginning. In fact, David Katzmeyer, who's on the uh, panel, and I actually met there in the early 90s at a, at a workshop that Terence was giving here in New York City, downtown, and Terence said that... Um, the arithmetic, I mentioned this at the beginning, was not actually accurate relative to the Mayan calendar. And I, Carl Kalman, who we'll have on in a moment, I think concurs with that, that August 15, 1987, actually wasn't a directly relevant um, day for the Mayan calendar, but it was made so by Jose, who was really an art historian, by his calculations, and of course his wonderful book, The Mayan Calendar, um, laid out an entire uh, thesis, so to speak, um, which very much included that date, and everyone celebrated, whether or not it was true to the spirit of the Mayan, and the uh, precision, I should say, of the Mayan calendar or not. So. I kind of back off all of this and say, I think humans need any reason for celebrating and expressing love. So I'm all for it, whether the days right. exactly precisely aligned or not. It's a great opportunity, <laughs> you know? if nothing less. And I, you know, we actually exactly. spent a little time in a ritual circle with Grandmother Flor de Mayo and Don Alejandro a couple of weeks ago in sure. New Mexico. Sure. And yeah. neither of them is particularly focused on. A, a singular date, although they're both holding ritual space on the 21st, um, because yes. it's become so significant. What they what they said, which was very interesting, was that the Mayan sort of were the Mayan people were entrusted as sort of the sacred timekeepers, if you will. That there was a deeper uh, knowledge that was transmitted through them about uh, planetary timing, if you will. But they actually yeah. said that generally they weren't the ones who knew much about what was supposed to happen in the transition. And so elders from other lineages, where they would say, well, actually, in our lineage, this is now the marker point from the transition from masculine power to feminine power. So they w there was another elder from the United States who wanted to mark this 
moment, a changing of the guard and blessing the women as clan mothers who were in the circle. So there, it was interesting. There was different. There was a kind of a recognition that also that the Mayan people have a role in the kind of eagle condor prophecy of kind of bridging between north and south yeah. and and creating yeah. this linkage point. And that, that there's almost like a mosaic of wisdom that's been passed down in different indigenous yes. traditions that all point to kind of a, a broader window of transition that we're in. And it doesn't have to all happen on one day, and it's probably impossible for it to happen on one day, but that this is sort of this turning point moment on a yes. planetary scale. And it's, you know, yeah. I see, I often see it as like this is the decade for like turning things around. And this Indeed. happens to be the ignition point when we, we can that's reach right. a critical mass of people. You have to have a point on the earth on which to pivot, and right. this is the day of that pivot. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your point about the decade as well, and uh, before I bring Carl in, I want to just, uh, and David, I just want to make one quick point regarding what you're saying, Stephen, in referencing something Monty Taylor was involved in at the UN and to some extent myself as well when the Mayan elders came and Monty was instrumental in making that happen uh, a couple of years back. I guess it was 2010, Monty, correct? Right. Yeah. And uh, Don Alejandro and the grandmothers were there and Hunmen um, uh, Bats, etc. It was a very interesting gathering. And uh, it was said, interestingly, not publicly, but I learned, you know, from uh, the grandmothers, essentially, that uh, there has been no cohesive um, oral transmission of the Mayan teachings and the meaning of the calendar, meaning the, even the so-called end date. Uh, from the generations from when the Mayans were said to have disappeared until now. So in some way, and you were essentially uh, suggesting this, Stephen, um, because of that, the current elders actually do not formally know anything more than uh, rigorous scholars such as Carl Kalman may know. In fact, people like Carl may know more about mm -hmm. the essence of the teachings of the Mayans. I, I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying it is possible because of his rigorous study than through what would otherwise be an oral, unbroken oral trans, transmission. So I mm -hmm. uh, consider that a really interesting point. Yeah. All the more reason that we simply turn to celebration because celebration is something that's a very human activity that has a huge amount of joy and love uh, embedded in it, and we know need more of that. God knows. Yeah. So. And what I would yeah. say is just, and we know that that there that there are effects when enough people join in coherent consciousness together. There's been some that's very interesting right. science from transcendental meditation camp from the Institute of Noetic Sciences from HeartMath yep. that when we come into greater coherence like we do in ritual or, or ceremony uh, or yes. meditation that we actually create a field effect around us that begins right. to affect the larger whole so if we we don't really know what happens if we can get a hundred million people in the world to come into some level of coherence and when we put that out exactly. we're saying it could be people just take the three minutes and, and participate in the one billion ohms or a yoga practice. But we're, we're, yes. our intention is to have about 1% of the world's population participate in some fashion, whether it's a meditation yes. or just yes. watch something on the web, so that they kind of their consciousness links up with this larger 
uh, happening and hopefully elevates, and then therefore that creates this sort of uh, amplified field of possibilities for everybody. Fields. Exactly. Beautifully put. It's uh, instead of the hundredth monkey, it might be the thousandth monkey if we get one percent. Right. So, yeah, there's some interesting science around one percent as as having yeah. an effect on a solution scientifically that you can like flip the structure of crystalline grids and stuff with one when one percent shifts. So that's part of where we came with the hundred million is let's let's aim for a bit yeah. more than one percent of the world's population doing something around this. That's right. That's right. Maybe we can even get a third-party candidate in with that kind of uh, group. <laughs> um, I'd like to uh, turn to Carl Kalman and then David Katzmeyer, neither of whom have had a chance to weigh in yet. I'm glad we have a little time here. Uh, Carl, as you've been listening to this and from your just your really well-researched uh, um understanding of the Mayan calendar and the Mayan culture in general. Um, can you go back through um, portions of this discussion and um, comment on what you see and what you hear here? Okay. Well, I think, you know, I'd like to start with you brought up uh, uh, Arguelles and his uh, uh, harmonic convergence. And yeah. I think I disagree with you. Uh, in other words, it was perfectly um, uh, marked according to the Mayan calendar. Uh, well, you wouldn't convert. be disagreeing with me. You'd be disagreeing with uh, Terence McKenna. I was just giving voice oh, to his okay. words. Yeah, oh, I that's see. okay. Okay. Yeah, and it, not a problem. You know, it, it also, and this relates to what uh, uh, when early on, uh, Arguelles, when he wrote the Mayan factor. He perfectly understood that the Mayan calendar has nothing to do with astronomy or European astrology. Oh. And this is very important. Then he lost it. I mean, there's a long personal his story there, but, you know, his son died after the harmonic convergence and everything like yeah. that. And he, yeah. and he came up with this sort of crazy, uh, twisted version that he spread around the world. But, you know... Yeah. It, it, if we leave that aside, early on, like 86, 87, he really got the right, uh, very significant insights. And one of those insights was that the Mayan calendar is not related to, to astronomy. And this is the most fundamental fact about the Mayan calendar. It is the only calendar of our planet that is not based on the <clears throat> astronomical reality. Or any astro uh, or astrology, uh, or, or I should say, it's not based on the physical reality. That's the most important thing to know about it. And mm. then, what what comes from that insight? Um, it's then that I obviously will disagree. I, you know, I, I don't think I could disagree more than I do with the uh, the lady who initially spoke. Um, uh, Cal Garrison, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because and I what I hear always is that as soon as people have what I call a materialist understanding of the calendar, in other words, they they believe that it's based on processional cycle or anything like that, then mm -hmm. they always go into talk about catastrophes because it's almost like that's the only thing you can come up with if you have not realized that this is a calendar that is exclusively about the evolution of consciousness and is not related at all to the physical reality. And so that's, and I, and I think it's very sad 
I mean, it, it's it's sort of sad in a sense what happened with Aguayas that he couldn't keep his course um, after the the harmonic convergence. And I think it is sad that so few people have actually understood this, the most important thing about the Mayan calendar. This is not fascinating. First of all, I didn't know that you and Jose Arguez agreed on anything, so I'm heartened to hear that there is this very fundamental point that underlies every conversation that should take place regarding the Mayan calendar. Could you just explain a little bit further of what it is truly based on, distinct from what is the ordinary assumption that it would be based on uh, the material understanding of astronomy? Yeah. So to to begin with, there is you know there is not a you know if you go to the Mayan area, there are thousands of calendrical uh, inscriptions, and but there is not one single inscription that mentions the twenty six thousand year cycle, and also John Jenkins, who was the person who made up this story about the galactic alignment and all that stuff, which. It hasn't any, there's no inscription about that either. You know, he writes in his book and in the appendix that, sorry, I haven't found any Mayan evidence that, that there is a 26,000-year cycle, but I believe it is anyway. And then he went, turned out to the world and, you know, rallied all these uh, people working with Vedic or, or European astrology and brought them along in, in, in that concept. And I'm not, you know, I have, I'm not in any way arguing against Vedic astrology or, or European astrology. I'm just saying that it's not the Mayan calendar. It's completely different. And what so the Maya say, yeah. you know, the long count is a 5,125-year cycle. So it started in 3,114 B.C. And the the... the but the Maya then, there is one inscription in Palenque that actually describes what, according to them, happened at that date. So there's yeah. no reason to be uncertain about this. It's completely clearly spelled out. What happened at that time was that the first father, in other words, what we would call God, erected the world tree and erected the eight partitioning house in the north. That's what it says. Uh-huh. And, it, and it, as soon as you realize that this is, it, it's about a, a god doing something, the first father doing something, it should bring people to realize that this is a metaphysical calendar. It's not about uh, any, any, anything physical, so to speak. And it, what, what we know happened in history then, of course, is that the first pyramids were built, the first civilizations popped up in, in Indus Valley, in Sumer and uh, Sumeria and, and Egypt, and, and suddenly, you know, we had the beginning of the pharaohs and, and, and all that. In other words, what actually happened when the first father did this event, when he erected the world tree, is that civilization popped up. On the world, in the world, there was an mm-hmm. enormous shift in the human mind. Actually, you you might say that that was the time when the mind dawned upon the humanity. Prior to mm-hmm. that, people did not have a mind. And um, 
there's nothing wrong with that. They probably were much more spiritual before they had in mind. But what? <laughs> the, 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 no, I think they did. You know. Yeah, you, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It may I well mean, have been more heart-based, in fact, and yeah, more gut exactly. instinctive-based. Exactly. But yeah. apparently that wasn't part of the plan because you know the first father planted the the world tree and civilizations started. And then these civilizations for 5,125 years, from 13 Bakhtuns, in other words, have developed, mm -hmm. and now we are at the end of these 13 Bakhtuns. Now, we, you know, here comes an interesting thing. When, you know, I don't think we have seen yet the, the full consequences of the para, of the of the paradigm shifts we we're going through. We we certainly haven't. But I think we should realize that if it's a true paradigm shift, it will not just be more of the old stuff in any form. You know, mm -hmm. not even if you're some kind of an um, alternative uh, uh, spiritual uh, whatever. It, it will be, you know. I think actually, I think pretty much everyone will be will find him or herself having been wrong in certain regards once the new paradigm comes forth. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, it, uh, and I think, you know, one thing that has surfaced at this point, and uh, to me, you know, I, 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 the, the, to me, I'm, I'm convinced that the, the shift actually happened last year, October 28, 2011. And, yes. Uh, so I've had some some time to to look at things and think about things and also seen uh, in what regards I may have been wrong and and so forth. Uh, but one of the interesting things that have come forth and and that that I've realized through my discussions with uh, Mark Van Stone, who's a professional Mayanist, is that there is actually no inscription from the Maya that talks about this time. Uh, that we're in now, whether you say 2011 or, or 2012, that says that this is the end of the long count. There is mm. no such inscription. Um, there is the Tortuguero monument that says that nine waves, nine uh, levels of evolution will be synchronized, and I believe that happened last year when we had all the uh, Arab Spring and Occupy movement and all the all these. Uh, um, things that are happening. But it's actually, yes. it's no, it, it, that is amazing, actually, uh, because everyone has been saying it, uh, that the, 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 the long count is ending, uh, you know, regardless of whether it was last year or this year. Aguayo yes. said it, Jenkins has said it, Don Alejandro said it, I have said it, and it turns out, I think, that we, we were all wrong. And... Um, and I think Mark Van Stone was the only person that actually went to the sources and, and looked at it and said, well, there's nothing saying here. They, they, they don't say that, that the, the, the calendar comes to an end after 13 Bakhtuns. And uh, this, this is sort of the reason I'm bringing this up partly is that uh, it's, there is no reason to actually you know, it's great if people are celebrating and setting uh, good intentions for the future. That's very sure. Uh, absolutely so. Um, but there's actually no reason in, in, in the cosmic plan, so to speak, to 
think of this time either as an end or as a new beginning. Very <laughs> and interesting. Uh, and uh, uh, so w- when I say these things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very particular about saying what the ancient sources are saying. And, yes. um, and I think you said something that should be po- pointed out. Some people think, oh, let's hear what the Maya are saying. Well, they, sure, let's, let's listen to everyone. But the point is that yeah. it's a thousand years since they did abandon this calendar that is now, now so much under discussion. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it, it is the point in actually going to the actual sources uh, because nobody on this planet has the mind or the, the type of way of thinking that the ancient Maya uh, would have. You know, it's like going to me and ask, because I'm Swedish, to ask me, what did the the Vikings think? I have no clue, unless (laughs) if I study it. I have no clue. They leave leave these stones behind, but there are people that have studied this thing in, you know, American or or whatever scholars that know a million times more about the Vikings than I do. It doesn't come with the blood. You have to go to the sources. And uh, yes. uh, I'm, I'm being very particular of sort of not uh, – there's, there's a whole body of talk that has been come to be referred to as the Mayan prophecies. And when you start picking those apart, you find that none of it actually comes from the Maya. It's just what people today want to hear or, or, or feel is appropriate to say or whatever like that. It's very, very little that actually come from the Maya. But those, I should say, I think we have enough of such ancient inscriptions to get a clear view of how the ancient Maya knew about it. But you have to dig a lot to uh, take away those things that do not come from that source. I I saw one of the reasons I uh, invited you onto the panel, Carl, because I knew that you could dig down deep to the actual textual evidence of what is being said and what is not being said and clear the field, so to speak. And as you well said, uh, there is every reason to celebrate. I think every day is a new beginning, and I don't think that's very far-fetched. And so I'm really going yeah. to make a point, Stephen, to you, Barbara, at all that we have a birth 2012 and a birth 2013 and a birth 2014. In fact, maybe we could pick a day every month and have some similar kind of celebration to help yeah, really you, make sure. Concept. We won't be putting it on the same scale of things as January 30th or 22nd, so uh, <laughs> someone else is going to have to take that on. <laughs> okay, but, well, we'll discuss that later. But right, well, I, have to, I have to run actually right now, but uh, this has been fantastic, and thank you so much. Absolutely, Stephen. Give the website one more time before you leave. So it's www.birth2012.com. And hope everybody can join in the way they feel called. Beautiful. Stephen Dynan of the Shift Network, thank you so much for joining right. us today. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Sure. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, I'm enjoying this. I hope – are you all enjoying this? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Isn't this yeah. interesting? I mean, we knew that there yeah, would be some um, sparks flying here, and they're beginning to. I 
so appreciate um, this. You're bringing something up, Carl, uh, that I would like to just um, say this to, that uh, recently I had Greg Braden on uh, discussing his latest book, Deep Truths. And one of the points that was made by him that I very much appreciated and find myself talking about a lot with people is this notion, I'm just coining this phrase, of scientific mythology, which is uh, these assumptions, you could almost say dogmatic or even further religious assumptions that are made in the name of science that have nothing to do with science at all, but they suit the times. And you really have to go back to uh, the work of uh, the structure of scientific revolutions of Thomas Kuhn to really see the history of science and just how blindsided it has been over and over again. And it's all in the name of science, but in fact, religion underlies science. And assumptions do as well. Assumptions mm-hmm. are part of scientific method up to a certain point. It's just the point of departure. But unfortunately, so much science and scholarship is is ruled by, you could almost say ridiculed, by the personal biases of the people doing the research. So uh, I feel that you really helped to... Uh, feature and highlight that in your comments so I I really want to thank you for that David Katzmeyer, I'm sorry it's taken a little time to get to you but we've had some really interesting comments here and I you see the world in the form of larger cycles and with your work with rhythms, which really just uh, so elegantly speaks to so many of the subjects that underlie this discussion could you bring a little to bear on what your listening has been to to uh, the panel so far? Well, I've enjoyed listening to everyone. There's been important truth spoken by each member of this panel. And absolutely, if you study anything from astronomy, astrology, the Mayan calendar, and so forth, it's basically a study of cycles. All things move in rhythm. And mm-hmm. when now we're looking at the Mayan calendar and we're looking at its end. We should understand what we mean by the Mayan calendar. And Dr. Coleman, you brought out uh, some significant figures about what this is. The Mayans had many calendars. Uh, they had the Zolkin, which is a 260-day calendar. That lasts about nine months, and it correlates with the planning to the harvest of corn and the gestation of a human being. They also had the Can, how, can I? Can can yeah. I just yeah. make one short interruption? Today is the beginning that, that they are celebrating in Guatemala. It's the eighth month. It's the first day of a of, of new round of the, of the Tolkien that you mentioned. Yes. Very important point. There you are. And there's a significant turning point out of a cycle. And so, so much of these things that you're following is the product of a cycle. And it's important to know where you are in a cycle because essentially you know what time it is. Not what time of day necessarily, but maybe what time of the year or what time in your culture, in your region. And that's an important thing for following these cycles and realizing the correlation of planetary movements to us and the correlation to internal rhythms that we have as individuals, as we have as a group of people. So the ones that we're following here are mostly from the Maya. Now, in addition to the 260-day Zolkin of the Maya, they had what they call the Ha, which is the same as the 365-day solar year. Uh, They also were following what happens when you're following the Hob 
uh, at 365 days and Zokin at 260 days, you're going to find that they're in different correlations to each other until after 52 years happens. Then they line up again and they start their different combinations of where you are in each one all over again. And for lack of a better word, uh, we call this the calendar round because we don't know what they call that. So that is a, you can call that a 52-year cycle in itself. But the one that we're pointing, as Dr. Coleman pointed out, is rather unique. It's a sequential count of days uh, lasting more than 5,125 years. And it's just a sequential long count that's been going on since 3114 B.C. and is ending this year. So um, you mentioned earlier, Mitchell, that there's some people are in panic. What's going to happen? There's high anxiety. Well, the world didn't end in 3114 B.C., but we're left to interpret what is going to happen. There are no predictions. You know, in the, the Popol Vuh, the Mayan Bible doesn't give us predictions. Uh, the Stella that we've interpreted don't give us predictions. So it's left for us to try to figure out what's going on. Well, I'm, Cal uh, Garrison, you pointed out that we're going into a transition of consciousness, and I agree with that strongly. And I'm very, um, I, I find it reassuring to find that this is supported by the planetary position. So you pointed out, Monty Taylor shows that innovation and transition is being called for now uh, with the planetary position right now. And as, as Stephen Guinan pointed out, he believes that we are going into a time of greater c compassion. It's less masculine or more feminine, or I translate that as less physical and more emotional. And mm -hmm. when you move in that way, you're going away from hierarchies of power of dominance, which has been the last couple of centuries in war, into an interactive world of you know, compassion and uh, agreeable systems. So this may be what's happening. But what's interesting with my own study of cycles, the internal rhythms of a nation, and the internal rhythms of world civilization, I came over to these same conclusions independently, now being supported by astronomy and now being, uh, you know, told to us by people who've experienced by Cal. And so this thing that we're going into uh, – <laughs> I don't believe it's going to be the end of the world, but probably a change of consciousness. Yeah. Very interesting. So in other words, the independent work that you have done developing this field, and I really think it deserves that phrase, field of calorithms, understanding cycles from the intellectual, emotional, physical, and spiritual points of view of a given uh, locale, nation, what have you, based on its date of birth, uh, um, correlates with much of it, what looks like what Monty and Cal are saying and what our understanding of the astrological material is. But it also correlates whether there is an end date in the Mayan texts or not, as Carl is bringing up. It, Carl, your book, The Mayan Calendar and the Transformation of Consciousness, makes it really quite clear that your point of view is that this really is what the calendar is about. Could you comment on that? Yeah, and then we'll no, circle around to Monty and to uh, Cal. I, yeah, no, my, my point of view is that, you know, there, there are nine. The, the only inscription that talks about our own time in, in among the Maya is the Tortuguero Monument. 
and it talks about the nine levels that are being yeah. synchronized. And um, uh, they, those levels are creating different aspects of the human being. So the four bottom ones is all about the biological evolution, and the four high, highest ones is about the mental evolution. Uh, in other words, the, and, and including the, the long count, which is really about mental evolution. And the highest level is the ninth wave that started in, in, in March of 2011. And what is special about this, which will be continuing to run forever and had never been running, never been activated before 2011, is that this brings a, um, this removes the veils. Uh, this creates a new consciousness where we are not having any filters for, for our uh, relationship to the external world. It, it oh. opens the possibility for unity consciousness. And now I think what is happening, and, and so that if, that is so significant. It's like we, we have come to the point when, it, when essentially the first phase of, of civilization has been uh, uh, created. What, what is now happening, in, I, I think, is that uh, people will continue endlessly uh, to be transformed by this particular wave that brings in the unity consciousness as a possibility. And that's where people are going. And that's exactly why we have reasons to celebrate, whether it's this day or any other day. But this is a good day because people, have, uh, people know about it and have expectations uh, about it. But this is what, what will happen in the future. And people will become less mental in the future. And more the, the possibility is to become more heart-centered, more joyous, and so forth. And this comes out of a polarity shift of consciousness. It has nothing to do with the magnetic poles or, or anything like that. It's a consciousness shift. And, um, but do you uh, feel that the consciousness shift correlates in some manner with a magnetic pole shift? No, no, no. Uh, it doesn't. I'm, I'm certain that it doesn't. Because if that was the case, the Mayan calendar would sort of be able to predict uh, a pole shift. And the last pole shift on our planet was 783,000 years ago, according to the scientists that study these uh, kind of things. And there's no reason... 783,000? 783,000 years ago. That's, that's according to geologists. And... Um, and I see no reason whatsoever to even start talking about an electromagnetic pole shift. It's only it's this kind of catastrophe that is erased. It, 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 that's again, I'm coming back to this sadness that I feel that people have not grasped that this is not about the material reality. It is about yes. a shift in consciousness, a polarity shift in consciousness. And that is very real, but it's metaphysical. It's not physical. Yes, yes. Interesting. Interesting. I'm having fun. <laughs> we have some differences. Um, Cal, would you like to comment? Because um, Carl, Carl and Cal, very close except for one <laughs> R. Um, what? I, I'd like to hear what you would have to comment on uh, Carl's comments. And then, Monty, I want to circle back to you um, to comment on, I, I want to I'll tell you when we get to you. 
Okay. Oh, also, okay, I want to say, feel free to speak among yourselves. I mean, honestly, there's uh, much on the table here to uh, to chew on. So please, Cal, begin the chewing. Can you hear me? Hello, Cal. Did we lose someone here? Did Sometimes we lose? Sometimes the call will drop. Yes, it sounds well, like the call has transformation. dropped. May I offer something on that, Mitchell? Yes, please, David. Uh, there is a wonderful book by Graham Hancock called The Fingerprints of the Gods. And um, yeah, Fingerprints it, of the Gods may... is by Graham Hancock. Yes. And okay. um, he believes that there is a little bit of a disturbance on the physical level that happens maybe every 13,000 years. Uh, and he's basing this on geological evidence of what he's seen in different parts of the world that suggests that there was a bit of a shakeup. Now, I'm not saying that the poles reversed every 13,000 years. No, and I'm not saying that the, the magnetic field reversed every 13,000 years, but there might have been, you know, just a little bit of a jolt, maybe shifting gears. And what would that mean? Would that mean that there's a a jump uh, that happens that shakes up the whole Earth? And why does he believe that? You know, he looks at geological evidence like down in Argentina, like Titicaca, there is uh, a very large lake where you can see kind of embedded in the rock the old lake bed of how the water used to lay, but it goes half of that goes up above the lake and on the surrounding banks. And then the other half of that old lake bed carved in the rock goes down beneath lake level. So that means that, well, the land was in a different different position, you know, because of what it always lays level. And at the same time, he cites many, many other examples of there's physical evidence that there is a bit of a shakeup. And, of course, there's the old Perry's-Reese map, which uh, goes back to the 16th century from an Ottoman admiral who has this, you know, remnant of a map that supposedly is a copy of a copy and so forth of a map from antiquity. And it shows most of the continents, you know, fairly good description, including Antarctica, which gives a, a remarkable good layout of the land of Antarctica. But how could that be? It's been covered with ice, and it wasn't until the 20th century that we use sonar to penetrate the ice and actually figure out how much under the ice is land, map it out, this is the shape of it, and lo and behold, it's a good match for the Perry's Reese map. This is supposedly the map used by sailors, and that they map it out because they sailed there. Now, when in the world were people going up to and going down to Antarctica and mapping it out when there wasn't ice on there? So, what kind of shifts happen? And if it happens every 13,000 years, does this coincide with the approximately 26,000-year precession of the equinoxes? Because when you study cycles, you'll know that there are two points of transition in every cycle, when it breaks into the high half of a cycle and it breaks down into the low half of a cycle. So uh, there may be some transitions. However, uh, I do believe, as the other panelists are saying, that what we're probably on the threshold of right now is a transformation of consciousness. And I say that merely because of the internal rhythms of society that I study. And then I find it remarkable to come on here, and over the years I've been finding out how so many people are arriving at the same conclusions for different reasons. So there's a confluence yeah. here of so many different studies. Yes. 
Well put. I, I appreciate that. It's very interesting. We we get a chance to wear many different lenses here in this panel. So uh, let me just remind everyone you are listening to A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin on Blog Talk Radio. We are on every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can always get information about what shows will be uh, on and uh, as well as the TV show at www.abetterworld.tv where you can also subscribe to a free newsletter and please become part of it and become part of A Better World's family. So, uh, Monty Taylor, if you would. Uh, yes, Mitchell. As you've been processing what everyone has been saying, what does it sound like to you? Well, it's all facets of the same diamond. Uh, it, it, there's no conflict, really. Uh, so, uh, to me, when you look at astrology, first of all, I don't like the term. Uh, it's just cosmic cycles. You can see, when you... It, 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 astrology is a measurement of time. And when you know enough history, you start lining up the planetary positions according to the dominant characteristics of any date in history, and you will see that there are synchronicities going on. Just as we said, we're having the planetary returns of the Civil War, and the conditions mm -hmm. around us are extreme difficulty. And, you know, we tend to look at things microcosmically. We look only in terms of our own country or our own culture. But when you look at it, uh, there was enormous amount of change going on in the last two years globally, you know, politically, culturally, economically, everything. Now, the innovations that are about to happen, I, this is all about, you see, I don't like the concept or to approach astrology as fortune-telling. I like to look at is time cycle analysis. Yes. And so you can see, and then, People, the way they verbalize it can cause uh, misconceptions. One of my favorite things to say is I had a very dear friend. He was born in February. I am born in July. And we're both born in the summer because he was born in South America. But you see, you have to start going deeper into everything. You know, everything yeah. from the melting of the polar ice caps to everything. You know, I just recently attended a very interesting uh, astronomy lecture on, you know, the astronomical uh, phenomena going on. And they said, you know, this pole stuff is going on on every single planet. The polar ice caps of every planet in our solar system are being affected. So it's not just what's happening here. There is something emanating from the sun. We're in a normal cycle of solar flares, for example. They're intensifying. And when you look back at um, astrology, just look at the fact that uh, Neptune, the planet that mankind, with his analogy and the language of mythology, uses to describe certain things, including mm -hmm. the rulership of the oceans. Well, okay, that's what we say that planet means, but that planet is exactly back where it was at the beginning of the Civil War. But it has just entered the sign of Pisces, and in 2012, we see the ruler of Pisces, which rules the oceans, suddenly in its own domain, and we have the health of the oceans as a paramount dynamic going on, and you will find now, astrologically speaking, astrology is not causing this, 
but you're going to see that there's going to be 15 years now of increased hurricane activity and oceanic effects of weather going on mm-hmm. in a much more pronounced way than it was, let's say, 50 years ago. And mm-hmm. we are just looking and saying, well, we know that when Neptune is in Pisces, certain things are going to happen, you see? So yeah. look at yeah. uh, look at all these transformations. You know, Pluto cycles are very informative. Uh, it's a 248-year cycle. That simply means it takes Pluto 248 years in Earth years to go around the sun and come mm-hmm. back to where it was at the beginning of something. So let's go right now and say in 2012, what are we having the Pluto return of? The American Revolution and many other things that were happening at that time. Let's go yeah. back to Pluto returns. And what do we have? The discovery of America and the resulting mm. effect on the European economy. Go back 248 years before that. What do you have? The Protestant Revolution. See, the interesting thing about history is whenever Pluto's in a certain part of our sky, we look at our history and we see massive transformations happening. But in the case of this planet, Pluto, the transformation is permanent. So the Protestant Revolution, uh, Revolution, uh, Reformation, permanently changed the world dominion in the West of the of the Vatican. If yes. you go back further and further, each and every time, you will find a massive, absolute world transformative event happening. And if you go back, you will find exactly. I think we're in the eighth Pluto return of the fall of Rome. Now, here's the interesting Mm. thing. It wasn't like in the movies where Moses was losing the commandments and all of these things. It wasn't something dramatic. The fall of Rome happened, yes, decisively, but your average person on the street didn't see vandals and Visigoths marauding the city every single day. Life was going on really quite normally, much as it is in the normal level of life, while it's very unfortunate, but if you're living in the Middle East right now, Even though you're having terrorists and bombs and revolutions and everything, you're still going out and buying groceries somehow or other. You're trying to educate your children somehow or other. Life is going on, mind you, with different challenges in different parts of the world. Because remember, countries have birth charts. uh, And corporations have birth charts. And... um, Actually, when you look at it, just look very deeply with a a 360-degree awareness. You know, everybody thinks that the American Revolution was really an uprising against the British Parliament. No, it was an uprising against the Dutch West India Company, which was imposing tariffs that owned the British Parliament like the lobbyists today. Look at the real correlation going on, you see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fascinating thing is, who is really being transformed? It's only when you have a, a serious unawareness. Now, the way Pluto works in the human psyche, we're talking about evolutions of human psyche, it causes the exaggeration of extremes so that you can see the big picture. So right now we're having the exaggeration of the left and the right 
politically, we're having the exaggeration of extremes in terms of climate change and all of these things. In fact, Neptune being back to the oceans, and uh, you know much more about this than I do, Mitchell, but didn't I read somewhere that there are these islands of plastic bags and plastic bottles in the Pacific, and one of them is the size of Europe? Mm. Now, yeah. when you look at that, I mean, these are things yeah. the satellites are telling us. This is the about astrology. Look, look at yeah. how mankind learns more about the planet it lives on by sending up a satellite to spin around. That's what these yep. planets are doing. They treat them Indeed. just like satellites, and they're Indeed. all associated with different cycles of time. That's really what it is. Mythology yes. is the language of astrology because mythology can take mankind's lack of understanding of an abstract principle and put it into an allegorical story to illustrate what man has not yet experienced. That is really how we have... Carl Jung, one of my heroes, and Joseph Campbell, we owe them an inestimable debt of uh, insight and awareness into the way the collective consciousness is evolving. And astrology is nothing more than a measurement of that. It is not things happening. But, you know, hundreds of years ago, it seemed like something was happening to you. No, something yeah. was triggering the events that are building up to something, you see. So everyone yeah. says, oh, they discovered America. Well, I wonder what the Native Americans thought in 1492 about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. They feel mm-hmm. they discovered it long before that. <laughs> exactly. There are, there's always so many more facets to every particular uh, concept. And if you understand yeah. in balance, the trick is balance, you see. Exactly. So that's exactly. how I see the brilliance being displayed tonight on your wonderful panel. I'm so privileged to yeah, be part well, of it. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I'm so enjoying it. I actually would like to circle back for a moment here now to... Something Carl was saying that I, I just find so interesting. Uh, we haven't explored the relationship of what's metaphysical to physical, which is its own really interesting discussion. And most people consider the two domains so utterly distinct that uh, they don't have an interface. I personally don't believe that. But, Carl, you still floated out a very well, fundamental notion that the Mayan calendar is not rooted, and I want to come back to the subject of the Mayan calendar in particular, because this day of December 21st is upon us, and we're looking at it from the point of view of December 12th, 2012, i.e., 12, 12, 12, and I'd like to hear what anyone would have to say about that as well. Again, to reiterate, Monty, I know you mentioned it slightly beforehand uh, regarding uh, Uranus. Um, But, Carl, if it is not born out of an astronomical understanding or observation or intuitive knowing, what then do you think the Mayan calendar was born out of? It's, it's, and what is its relevance to us also? It's yeah, tre- please. It's tremendously uh, relevant. Uh, it it yeah. is the, 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 the tree of life 
which is another. Uh, so somebody might say, well, that's another metaphysical comp- uh, concept. Yes, it is, sure. but it's a real me- metaphysical uh, concept. And you see oh, yeah. the effects of it. And uh, uh, that is what they always said was the, the basis of their calendar. And um, <laughs> and the, the tree of life exists on, on so many different levels. Um I mean, there, there is a galactic tree of life uh, around which the galaxy uh, circles. There is a mm-hmm. planetary tree of life, which is basically the, the polar axis. And then there is a human tree of life, which is uh, basically our spinal cord. Now, <clears throat> but as soon as you make this, interpret these as being physical uh, phenomena, then you you risk uh, to to be off the mark in at least in interpreting the Mayan calendar, and um, so the, 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 when the Maya said that the long count began with the erection of what they call the eight partitioning place in the north, in the north then means the North Pole and it's related to the polar axis, uh, the, which is our, our planet's particular. Um, tree of life. And when they say eight partitioning, it means that it divides the world in different segments, basically. And it, it is around those segments that much of, of, of they produce like the wave generators of, of human history, these different uh, um, uh, partitionings that, that they talked about. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's a, it's a little bit of a strange thing to talk about because it is almost like, but it's not really more uh, strange than to talk about electricity. You know, you can't see the electricity. All you know is that when when the, the effects of effect, it, yeah, was that? yeah, you see the effects of it, and it's sure. exactly the same thing with, with the Mayan calendar. Is that when you start studying history uh, and you see how the different shifts. Uh, the Bakhtun shifts that are, are not related to any, any astronomical cycle, but you do yeah. see the very clear, very repeatable uh, physical evidence of, uh, of this, that then you must conclude that there is something there, like you have to conclude that there is electricity. And I think at this point, it's, there's a lot of knowledge about that. We, 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 it's possible to get a handle and understand how this uh, actually works. There is an interface uh, between the metaphysical and, and the physical, um, but, there, but there is also some point, I think, where in the metaphysical realm where uh, that you can't grasp with a mind, basically. Uh, you may be able to travel there, but you cannot uh, sort of approach it logically from from the mind. Uh, uh, but you can see the effects, and you can track the effects, and then it, it makes perfectly sense what they were saying, that, that it's, it was the tree of life that was activated or erected uh, 5,125 years ago. You see the effects, because civilization, there were never, no... Whatever Graham Hancock is saying, there's no evidence of any early civilizations on our planet than before this particular event, 5,125 years ago, when when the uh, the tree of life was erected. So something happened, and uh, yeah. and, and it happened pretty exactly as this way. And this is what we should contemplate. We've gone through this whole process of civilizational 
development that started then, and I think now we're in for something new. Uh, I think more we were into the breakdown of civilization, and uh, uh, and it's meant to be that way. I would also uh, think that it is, um, uh, because the yeah we 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 going into an era w- w- uh, that is less mental. I think that's a, a very yeah important thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that that would be what's interesting is that's considered an evolutionary turn of the cycle, you know, that we're less yeah. mental, you know. Whereas, you know, I I actually think that thinking, uh, which is surely an intellectual slash mental function to some extent, is a high expression of our evolutionary state, but. Even more than that, the notion of thinking with the heart, which is very much an yeah. ancient and indigenous understanding, is actually even a, a larger and more forward-thinking, no pun intended, um, cycle of our evolution. So it's, it becomes bizarrely redundant and paradoxical that when we talk about going forward, um, it's really back that we're reaching yeah. to we a more yeah. primordial condition, you know. Yeah. Comments on that, David? Absolutely. You know, sometimes the strong will lead, sometimes the spirited will lead, and sometimes the smart will lead. And yes. there are numerous cycles moving in the world at one time. And, you know, what we consider to be intelligent, it changes. We judge the world with our own yardstick. Indeed, our yardstick changes with time, culture, and region. And um, so we've got to remember that all of these things and the the empire from which we develop, the points of view that we make these measurements, are rise and fall with numerous cycles. And so Dillon was right. The first one now will later be last. The slow one now will later be fast. And the times they are changing So I'm really excited about uh, the focus that's going on of where are we in time? What does it mean? Where are we going? Where are the clocks? And this consciousness, this popularity, this fad almost, uh, that has come about from the Mayan calendar has got people interested and learning to think about things that are greater and outside of themselves. And then they turn to scholars who have been studying this just for years and years, like Dr. Coleman and so many others. But when they start looking outside of themselves, and, you know, what's ironic and funny is that they start realizing the things within themselves because what is here is elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Beautifully put, beautifully put. You know, uh, if I may say, Carl, uh, in a moment of um, beautiful humility, if I may say, uh, is uh, some level of recognition after all of these years of studying that you and Jenkins and uh, maybe you mentioned another were actually mistaken in your understanding that in a way perhaps you didn't dig down and drill down deep enough to recognize that there is no actual so-called end date to this calendar, that there's no reference to it, formally speaking, at all. And what we're dealing with here, and you also made the point very unlike 
what happened at Harmonic Convergence, and I'm pleased to know that my uh, ticket down to Peru and my few weeks there weren't in mathematical vain. Um, that uh, here we um, we are living in a world of suppositions over and over again. Now the the good benefit is that these suppositions are healthy, happy. Um, forward-looking suppositions that the world is changing, the world is shifting. It's shifting also is the um, suggestion for the good. People are waking up. Monty was a, was a phrase you used, and we all use it quite often, uh, like from a slumber. You know, and I noticed that many people don't really define what waking up means, and I was just actually being interviewed myself on a, uh, someone's radio show, and I, I went to the trouble of defining um, different degrees of waking up, different kinds of waking up. And it's not all just this spiritual revelation, so to speak. For some, waking up is um, understanding the political reality in which we live, which is that the government is not just all the good guys and for us, but actually is a series of individual agendas that are often in conflict, if not at war with each other. Another one is that our corporations that are providing us with all sorts of fine clothing and wonderful watches and any number of different consumer goods are actually just out for themselves in a rather um, almost <laughs> diabolical way. And they will do anything and everything to brainwash us on television so that we decide to continue to buy their products. That's another level of waking up where a lot of people have lived with assumptions that um, that these folks, you could say, have been our friends, and now they learn that they're not. Or the assumption that war is good because it's seeking to provide democracy and spread the idea of de democratic values around the world. And then we discover that, oh my word, we've actually been fighting wars for decades just to control things like oil. You know, these are all levels, you could say, of waking up that... I'd love to hear what you all have to say about this. Muncie? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is we're having cycles of Pluto. Pluto happens to rule oil. And it is now in the sign of Capricorn for the first time since the American uh, birth of the country. So here you have the planet ruling oil and 500 other things in the sign or environment of Capricorn, which rules corporations and government. Now, look at that. Then you have revolution represented by Uranus, which is squaring that and challenging that planet. So you're going to see that things are coming out in the open, and we realize it is indeed all about oil. And now they're saying, so what? We can't live without it. We've got to have it. So it's justified, right? Mm-hmm. So astrology didn't cause any of this, but it does show you how... It is a measurement of time cycles, and these cycles are going... You know, a planet can go through a sign, and if there is stuck energy in the sign, unresolved issues, ignorance, illusion, then the planet will start clearing things up according to its you know, jurisdiction, Mercury and thinking and communications and the 
uh, Pluto and values and wealth and things like that. And it rules oligarchy. It rules hidden things like hidden governments and the powers behind, you know, governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you look at these cycles, if, if, if everything's going well in a certain uh, house or area in the client's chart, the individual's, the very same planet, if things are going well, will enhance the well-being of that area of life. The planets are totally neutral. Yes. So it, it's yeah. just so, it, it, they don't cause things. They are a timing device that shows you how things. For example, when yeah. a baby is born, when the baby gets around 13 and a half to 14, puberty used to be the normal age of puberty, puberty before we've got so much estrogen in our systems we don't know what we're doing. But yeah. uh, that is called a Saturn opposition. Saturn is in 180 degrees away from where it was when the child was born, the onset of puberty. So Saturn did not cause puberty to happen. You look and you say, ah, the Saturn opposition, most likely there's some hormonal disturbance. Now, another thing you can set your watch by is that when someone is having a Uranus opposition, in other words, when it is opposing where it was when the person's born, you will have another hormone effect. You will have menopause and andropause. You will have the switching of the hormonal system of the body into a different version of itself. Uranus did not cause that. Uranus is said to rule those things simply because we can associate changes in there with the particular particular planetary position of Uranus in the sky. You see, it's just triggering. Yes. In ancient times, people used to worship the sun, and they used to say it did things and caused things. This is just a primitive understanding of things. One of my favorite lovely sayings is an old folk tale. Now, you know how when you're having humidity and weather fronts in certain ways, according to where you're living, it will affect your weather. So the sun in a hot summer day can be setting, and it looks like a big orange ball lying there in the middle of the sky. And uh, the next day is another hot, humid day. However, if the sun rises that way, if the sun comes up over the horizon like a big, fiery, red, mist-covered ball, it's going to rain. That's simply because of the weather front in between the observer and the planets of the sun, and it will affect the weather. So there's an old saying, you know, that says, evening red means the sun setting red, and morning gray, in other words, a foggy gray dawn, sends the traveler on his way. But evening gray and morning red brings the rain down on his head. Now, the sun didn't do that at all. It was a way of seeing which side of the weather front you were on in relationship to the way the 24-hour planetary patterns were changing. It's all patterns and measurements thereof. So I hope I didn't get too wordy about it. But we really have to understand that form follows thought. Yes. You know, exactly. we talk about all this energy, and we talk about, you know... And I can only give you another 30 cheap. seconds here because we're actually uh, winding down, and I want to get uh, David well, and Carl just, in on this. Please finish line, your point. Energy is energy, and chi is energy. And when Correct. people ask me what chi is, I say it's what a dead body doesn't have. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> he is always doing something, okay? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I appreciate that, Monty, very That's much. Wonderful. Uh, David, I'd like to give Carl the final word. So, David, we are so quickly running out of the cycle Only of time. Only a minute. I just want to reinforce us. what Monty, Monty said, which is uh, – Please go ahead and then give us your final statement. I'm, I'm wrapping up, and this is my final statement, is that so many things we're looking at is an observation of, as a measure of the cycles of time. And as Monty was doing was bringing back references. This is how we learn. When we see what was happening when the cycles were in a previous position, we can understand, you know, what they are right now by looking at what happened last time the cycles were there. And the final statement I'd like to make is next week I'm going to be doing a radio show live from the ancient city of Copan, Honduras. That's going to be on Thursday, December 20th at the blogtalkradio.com forward slash cycles. That will come on at 8 p.m. New York time, 5 p.m. Pacific. I'm meeting down there with other Mayan scholars and so forth, and uh, we're gonna, it's going to be some interviews and discussions live from the ancient city of Copan. Uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash cycles, Thursday, December 20, 8 p.m. New York time. Excellent. Wonderful, David. Thank you so much. I think that's great that you're going and celebrating. I think it's great. Carl Cullerman, if you would, we have just two minutes left. I'd love to hear, I mean, I just would like to get to whatever extent we can, the the meaning that you would like people to take away from this panel discussion and the meaning of uh, the Mayan calendar. I mean, you know, I don't mean for you to distill everything down in a one-minute soundbite. We've had two hours now to lay out different aspects of it. But what mm, essential okay. message would you like people to take away? Well, I, I think somebody said there something wise that, you know, people come to the same conclusions for, for various reasons. And I think sometimes yes. people come to the right conclusion for the wrong reasons. That's very <laughs> common, I would say. And, uh, uh, but that doesn't matter, and I think uh, I, th um, I think uh, 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 there is some kind of a consensus here that um, we are entering a time when when um, a new consciousness shift, uh, a new consciousness is is, is coming, and um, that I believe is is a unity consciousness, which we should be fairly specific about. Uh, I, I, you know, sorry, I have no time here because I wanted to really bring up a discussion in relation to, to what you talked about people awakening in different ways and, yes. and uh, 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 people becoming aware. Now I don't know who these people are who actually believe that uh, a government or or the big corporations are nice guys because I think I figured out when I was five that they were not. But there might be that people. But you were precocious. <laughs> yeah, I, I was smart. No, but, but no. But still, there is an interesting thing here, in, especially in, in America. There is this enormous popularity of all conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah. and uh, I'm not discussing whether those conspiracy theories are are right or 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 not. Uh, some of them might be. Others is just a bunch of bullshit. But the question is really. And, and that should be a program of yours almost. Is it really for the future to, to have that kind of a focus, even if it's yeah. true? Even if there is this bunch of guys there, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are doing nothing but trying to... I, get the, I get the message of what you're implying, and I think it's very powerful. Please make that we yeah. really have 
another 30 seconds. I really want you to make that point explicit. Would you? No, I, I'm, 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 I'm coming to the conclusion for myself that I don't want to focus on that. And uh, I'm not saying that it's not true. I just think that, no, that I understand. it's not the future. And uh, what yeah. I'm also saying is that one thing that you learn from the Mayan calendar is the principle of as inside, so outside. In other words, mm. you tend to create on the outside what's in your inside. And the question exactly. is, should we, who are a little bit enlightened anyway, should we then go with our inside and creating, be creating this uh, on our outside? And, uh, um, I, I'm, you know, it's very controversial. I'm sure many people would kill me for saying that. But I, 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 no. I, I don't think that's, um, uh, that's not my path, at least. And, and we, we, sh- we should have more of a discussion of that. Indeed. Well, you know what? I think your suggestion is a very good one. Carl Kalman, David Katzmeyer, Monty Taylor, Cal Garrison, I'm sorry you've left. Stephen Dynan, thank you very much. Uh, thank you all for being part of today's panel discussion. It has been rich. I've really appreciated each of your contributions, and it's been diverse and sparky and enlivening. Thank you all Thanks, for being mate. part of it, and Thanks, I will... I'm sorry? Thanks, Mitch. Oh, you're so welcome, Carl. Absolutely. So glad to have you all on. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Visit us at our website, www.abetterworld.tv, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. We will pick up on that, Carl, on another call. Bye-bye now.